Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. The COVID-19 pandemic has required not only rigorous health and safety protocols to be observed, but an incredibly high level of flexibility and ingenuity in dealing with the crisis while at the same time trying to go about the everyday tasks of our life. And that's especially true for anyone who serves as the leader of a major college sports conference. My guest today is Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East Conference. Named to her position in 2013, Ackerman was the founding president of the Women's National Basketball Association and is past president of USA Basketball, which oversees the U.S. men's and women's Olympic basketball program. In a period unlike any other in the past century, she has guided the Big East through the COVID waters, facing challenges she could not have imagined even 18 months ago. But hey, she's a Jersey girl, Jersey born and raised, Jersey strong. And it's a privilege to welcome her to Pirates Talk. Val, thank you very much for spending some time with me. I can only imagine how busy you are. And for you to carve a little time out of your schedule is most appreciated. So thank you very much for joining me on Pirates Talk. Yeah, Matt, great to be with you today. So we were discussing a little bit before we started this interview and doing some research. uh, I find out that your grandfather was the athletic director at then Trenton State College, now the College of New Jersey. And your dad was the athletic director at the high school you attended, Hopewell Valley, down in Mercer County. So not only are you Jersey through and through, but in many ways, you were born into this life as an athletic administrator, it seems. Well, I think that may be true, Matt. Um, I did grow up, you know, looking up to my dad and my granddad um, very much. They, They were both athletes themselves. My dad played three sports. He was a basketball official. Um, along the way. So I actually have a soft spot in my heart for uh, basketball referees. Um, and they, you know, uh, they, they really did, I think, instill in me just an appreciation for sports um, and, you know, everything that goes along with working in the business and dealing with the great people and the coaches and so on. So um, I, I would say, you know, my career is probably in many ways directly attributable to the influence that they had on me. We will spend most of our time speaking about your role as commissioner of the Big East and the challenges that you have faced over the past 11 months or so, and then look a little bit into your crystal ball to tell us what the future may hold. But I do want to just touch upon for our listeners a little bit about what helped you get to this point. So you're an athlete in high school. You were scholar athlete in high school. You go to Virginia. And if, again, if my research is is accurate, you were one of the first female recipients of an athletic scholarship there, which brings up Title IX and the influence that that had, the opportunities that a generation before you didn't have. So how does that shape a little bit of your view of your job and what you bring to the table each and every day? Um, Matt, Matt, part part of the uh, the beauty of this position for me at the Big East is that I feel like I've come full circle, to your point. Um, as you noted, I played sports in high school at Hopeful Valley, um, where my dad was the AD. Um, I was able to get a scholarship to UVA in the fall of 77 is when I started, when Title IX and the implementation of it was really just getting off the ground. Um, So I really, um, I'm a Title IX baby in many ways, truly a beneficiary of that legislation, helped make my education possible. And frankly, being on the ground floor of the women's basketball program at UVA, you know, uh, was itself a, I don't know, character development exercise. 
because we weren't very good. Honestly, the program was new. Um, we were on the receiving end, unfortunately, of some tough losses. But it was a you know a great experience to be able to go to school, play sports, um, you know, pursue academics, um, and that you know really did enable me to um, you know learn great life skills. It's not a cliche. Uh, things I learned as a student athlete, I still use to this day. And then, you know, I went on to law school and into the working world and so on. So have a job like this one now really does bring um, a lot of those experiences together in a really fun way. One of the stops you had prior to this role was in the NBA. Uh, You mentioned law school and working in the legal world. And then the NBA comes calling. David Stern has influenced so many people, the late great commissioner of the NBA. What was his impact other than obviously allowing you to grow, but what lessons were imparted on you by David? Well, he, uh, I'm honored to have worked for him. Um, I do count him as, um, you know, one of the most influential people in my professional career and very, still very saddened that it was a year ago, you know, that we lost him. But, um, you know, working for David was, um, was not always easy. He was a very tough boss. He was himself a lawyer. So um, he was very interested in, in being, you know, rigorous in your preparation, very thorough in analysis, asked a million questions. Um, you know, we would always joke that if you had a meeting with David, the over-under on when he would start interrupting you and asking questions was about 15 seconds. <laughs> um, that's just kind of the way it was. So you had to get ready for that every time you were summoned into his, you know, into his office. But he was brilliant. Um, he, you know, he made the NBA what it is today. He uh, had the ability uniquely to look around the corner and see future trends that others maybe didn't spot. So for me, it was an honor to work for him. And certainly, you know, my work at the NBA, which spanned men's and women's basketball, was capped off by my role with the WNBA. And David, of course, made that, that possible through his sponsorship um, and his convincing NBA owners at that time to, to front this women's pro league. So very influential in my life and very deeply missed. Almost eight years now, you've been at the helm of the Big East. You recently were given an extension. Congratulations on that. Thank you. This year, though, has been a year, and and I'm not talking calendar year because it spanned 2020 and now into 2021, but this 12-month period that we're about to, uh, I won't say celebrate an anniversary, but hit an anniversary mark of COVID entering our world has been among the most challenging for anyone in this world. What has it been like for you as a leader of a big-time athletic conference trying to get these schools to maintain some sense of a schedule, some sense of purpose. It starts with the end of the Big East tournament, both men and uh, the women had just ended, but the Big East men come to an end. And now you're trying to build to another. And I'm just kind of trying to wrap my head around how difficult this year has been and, and, and what it's been like for you. Well, Matt, it's hard to wrap your head around it, to be honest. I mean, it's, uh, I don't think a year ago anybody expected, for one thing, that we'd still be at it a year later dealing with this um, incredible uncertainty, not really being able to plan, having to be reactive um, in a business that's highly calendarized. I mean, if you talk to, you know, for example, Coach Willard um, or Brian Felt, they would tell you that, you know, their schedules are built out a year in advance. Coaches know when they're going to be on the road, when they're recruiting, what their days off are, when the games are. And so for us to be in a position where we're not sure if, you know, week to week, 
we're going to be able to manage um, our the schedules that we've written um, and to not know with certainty has been really, really tough on everybody. I will say we've done the best we can. We, um, we've assembled um, all sorts of working groups internally involving our, um, our ADs, of course, but also our, you know, our doctors, other medical experts. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if nothing else, this has brought the Big East um, stakeholders closer together over the last year. We've, we've had to sort of band together as a team to try to figure out as best we can the answers to these really difficult problems. Um, I'm optimistic sort of long-term that we'll get out of this tunnel. Uh, the vaccine news is, of course, very encouraging, and I think we'll be our ticket out. We accept it's not going to help us much this academic year, um, but I hope that by the fall uh, we'll have a semblance of normalcy with respect to our sports operations and certainly our next basketball season. Um, but, you know, we just, I think, you know, as a leader, you have to try to stay optimistic and energetic about it. You have to try to, you know, know as much as you can about things you never dreamed you'd have to know about, like <laughs> infectious diseases <laughs> and how to deal with them. Um, and, you know, the good news is we have been able to play basketball this year. It hasn't been 100%, you know, but we've been able to get a lot of games in. So at least for our student athletes, uh, we can tell them that we, you know, we've done our best um, that we can to make sure they have a, you know, a representative season. And that is, uh, you know, a tip of the cap, or as they say in the sport that I cover now, uh, stick taps. Uh, that's what we do in hockey. You tap the stick when you want to congratulate someone. And really, you know, a tip of the cap to you and the administrators and the student athletes at all the institutions, the stakeholders, as you call them, for being able to work their way through this. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated by people who say, yeah, but. No, there's no yeah, but. You may not have a full schedule. You may be entering the Big East tournament where some team has played more than you. Everyone's just trying here. And I have no, I really have no time in a pandemic for people who want to say, yeah, but it used to be this way. Well, we've got to move on. Have you had to fight any of those arguments, I wonder, where people go, yeah, but, but, you know, Val, it used to be, well, no, it's not that way. Yeah, I think you said it well, Matt. I mean, uh, we've we've been able to play um, just about 80% of our men's basketball games to date. Now, some of those have been rescheduled and and played later. Some we're not sure we're going to be able, some of the lost games, we're not sure we're going to be able to recover in time uh, for our scheduled end date of the season in whatever, five weeks or so. But I think there have been positives, to your point, and the good news is our, you know, our athletes have been able to, you know, get in what they came to college for in some ways. The academics and the social life, of course, are other elements there. But they, you know, they come and they want to sort of play their sport and have that experience. And so I think you're right. We have worked as hard as we can to deliver um, the best experience we can under the circumstances. And we've made it happen. It's been it's proven to be doable to be honest. And so that's a far cry from where we were um, 10 months ago or so. And I'm optimistic, again, that with the developments in medicine and the advancements in the vaccine development and distribution, that we'll get back on our feet. We have to. I know we will. And I, I, I know that sort of by, you know, by the fall, we'll be in a much better position and it will start to look like the old days that you referred to. Amen to that. You mentioned having to become a bit of an expert on infectious control, infectious diseases, et cetera. Was there an unforeseen 
element to this aside from the obvious where as you were working through it with your assistants and other people in the medical world, uh, the political world, as you're trying to make your way through and get back on the court or on the field, uh, depending on the sport, where you hit something, you said, wow, that's new. I never saw that coming. And now I've got to find out something that I didn't think I'd have to learn. Was there a challenge like that? Well, I, I think the whole package of considerations that you have to know about master to some degree um was new new to all of us and and it was an evolving learning process i'll put it that way so last summer for example as we were gearing up to make decisions about um the six fall sports that the big east sponsors we sponsor men's and women's soccer volleyball field hockey and cross country for men and women we had to work through considerations that ranged from um, testing availability the NCAA guidance was that we had to test our athletes, but the testing um, uh, availability wasn't what it is now. We had to look at testing turnaround time, uh, which was troublesome, you know, this, you know, last summer because the labs didn't have the capacity they had now. We were dealing with unknowns around travel restrictions. Um, we, um, you know, we were in some ways looking to college football. For some guidance in terms of how things could be pulled off, we learned a lot from the pro leagues um, who had their seasons um, resume last last summer and into the fall, and that was instructive for all of us. We did learn from them that athlete accountability, something we hadn't thought about, is going to play a big role um, in how this works or not. Because you know, in college sports, the athletes aren't employees. They're um, not, you know, this is, you know, they're not with their coaches all the time. They want to have social lives. They want to go out and do things. And so our schools had to work very hard to impress upon the athletes that the success or not of this is going to rest on them. Masking, distancing, avoiding social um, activities, however painful that was. And so uh, I think for our schools, getting their heads around the conduct requirements, for the athletes and what we call tier one personnel was something that people hadn't thought much about and had to master. So again, a whole lot of things that go into play here to make this work and um, you know, how we manage our venues, another one, but uh, again, kind of a learning experience by all. And I, I think we're, you know, we're certainly much more informed about all of this and how to get it done than we were um, in March of last year. You mentioned the Big East tournament, and we do know that tomorrow brings another story. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but the Big East tournament is scheduled for some five weeks out. What can you tell us about what the tournament will look like and how you may be able to run it? Well, it's on. I mean, we are, you know, we're still a go with both our men's and women's tournaments. Our uh, women this year for the first time is scheduled to be at Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut, in large part because of the um, return to the Big East of UConn. Um, so we've got a three-year deal there that starts this, this year. Um, our men, uh, we're planning to be, I think it's our 38th year, Madison Square Garden. So a very important relationship to us. Um, uh, you know, we are working, uh, closely with the garden, um, and, uh, you know, and everyone concerned to, to make that happen. The good news is that both the Knicks and the Rangers have resumed play at the garden. And so there is a, um, an in-game template, particularly with the NBA that we'll be following in terms of how we're going to run this, how the court is set up. Uh, you know, we don't expect fans. Unfortunately, that could change, I suppose, if the state of New York alters its large gathering restrictions. But we don't expect fans, but that's okay. 
Um, you know, we, um, we will have all the games televised. There'll be 10 of them this year with UConn's return. And so, um, you know, we're hopeful that we can, you know, that we can make this work. As, as you noted, we don't know what tomorrow brings and health and safety is paramount for us. So we'll, of course, make sure that whatever we're doing is in line with our health and safety objectives for athletes and our coaches and everyone concerned in the building. Um, but right now, you know, we're, we're feeling good about it. And uh, hopefully uh, in a few months time, we'll crown a Big East tournament champion, something we were unable to do, unfortunately, last year. A story came out earlier this week that the NCAA is considering, and I believe considering, you can enlighten me and the listeners, uh, requiring teams to have, what, seven days uh, of of quarantine before they go to the NCAA tournament? Uh, and, and I think I'm mixing some news up. But what can you tell us about once the Big East tournament is over and bids go out, what the process is as you come together for an NCAA tournament? Yeah, well, you, you were close, Matt. So what they're requiring um, is seven consecutive days of daily negative COVID testing. Okay. Le- leading into each team's arrival into the NCAA tournament site, which has been announced is going to be Indianapolis. They're, they're taking all of those sites that they normally use and, co- and condensing them into one venue. Mm-hmm. Mol- multiple buildings, not you know all one gym. They'll use multiple um, buildings, but they'll be in one city, and that is Indy, which is the um, where the NCAA headquarters is located and where the final four was scheduled to be. So um, there will be um, entry requirements, if you will, for the participating teams. There's still plans to make it a 68-team event. Um, and so that, that means that for – and the same with the women. They haven't announced the details, but the women's tournament will likely be in Texas with, with a similar set of protocols. So um, we're studying carefully the NCA guidance, which has been coming out sort of piecemeal, but the latest of it was released um, this past week. More to come, uh, we're told. And that's, you know, that's important to us. We want to have a robust participation um, at the, uh, you know, at, at March Madness. Uh, we want our teams to be eligible, both in terms of basketball and then their sort of COVID readiness. So, again, we're studying that um, carefully and making sure that whatever we do at the Big East Tournament will put our teams in the best possible position to go on to Indy or San Antonio in the case of the women. Um, and be ready to participate um, in in accordance with whatever it is that the NCAA will ultimately require. Thank you for clearing up uh, the little misconception I had there. But it will be a challenge, but hopefully everyone will be able to rise to the occasion. Circling back to Connecticut for a moment, what has the return of UConn meant in your eyes to the Big East? Well, it's, um, you know, we expected it to be, um, uh, you know, great. And, and it is. I mean, it you know, couldn't be happier to have this Big East charter member, you know, back in the fold. Um, their fan base, we're told, has been very energized, which is, which is really, which is really um, exciting. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I guess it's been such a fraught year. You know, and that's that's my regret that it couldn't have happened under more normal circumstances. So, you know, they, um, you know, they've been you know, like, like every other school in our league affected by the virus have not had the kind of year they wanted in terms of, um, lack of disruption that, you know, it's been disruption in every, every, you know, every way. So that's been very unfortunate, um, of course, but it is what it is. And so I'm, I'm hopeful again, that once we get through the academic year and into the summer next year, um, is looming, um, that it will be the kind of normal year 
that we and UConn expected and, and that the rivalries in particular that, um, that were so near and dear to them and to us, particularly with our Eastern seaboard um, schools like the Hall and, you know, St. John's and Georgetown and Providence and Villanova, that's kind of the old Big East relationships, if you will, were part of the lure from both sides here. And so we have, haven't been able to sort of resurrect those in exactly the same way, but that'll, you know, that'll come. And when it does, I think it'll be, I, I truly think it'll be, um, it'll be a win-win all the way around. No question in my mind. Just a few more moments and, and then we'll let you go and I appreciate it. But I uh, just kind of want to tie up the Big East a little bit and then look into the crystal ball on the national scene a little bit. On on the Big East side, some teams have, have been more affected by COVID than others. They've had a few more cancellations, et cetera. We're all challenged to do the best we can, not to suggest that those teams did not. But have you found, as you talk to the athletic directors and the coaches, have, have, have you been able to learn something to help improve the situation so that the limitations or, excuse me, the cancellations, postponements are limited moving forward? Uh, well, I think our schools from the get-go have been very diligent about the protocols. We, we have a variety of policies that we worked out over the summer and in the fall in concert with our medical personnel and um, our ADs. And I got the board, um, including Dr. Nyer, to, to agree to some, you know, some fundamental policy matters um, in terms of how we were going to operate in a COVID environment. So our schools, I'll, you know, I can attest, have taken all of that to heart, have worked very hard with, um, with testing and universal masking and distancing and how they're setting up their weight rooms and their meal rooms and the living quarters for the athletes. And of course their, you know, their playing venues. And it's been, you know, it's been an investment of time and effort and there've been setbacks. Um, and, and if you look around the country, Matt, the big East hasn't been alone. I no. don't, I don't think there's been a program or a conference in the country that hasn't been hit. So I think some of it was inevitable. We were counseled by our doctors that we would never be able to eliminate COVID risk. The best we could do was to lower it through these protocols. So I think that's what, you know, that's what's happened. We've been, um, I think, you know, fairly fortunate in the number of cases, the severity of the cases. Contact tracing, of course, is severe um, and varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. That's been, I think, a particular issue for us is we have 11 different jurisdictions and 11 different public health authorities who are you know, weighing in, if you will, on what we're doing here. And they vary. Some of the restrictions with respect to quarantines and contact tracing and ability to test out um, and, you know, and so on just vary. And so we've established, I think, good channels of communication among our schools with each other so that the doctors can talk and answer questions with each other. And the doctors, I would say, in our league have had a you know, have had uh, much influence in terms of how we manage things. Why? Because health and safety matters the most. So um, it's been very difficult, again, to see games lost. But, uh, you know, we've done the best we can. And frankly, I want to commend our schools and, you know, and everyone involved for, for what they've done to make, make it this far, because it has not been without extraordinary effort. Without a doubt. And, and as I said earlier, tip of the cap to everyone who's doing their very best uh, to work in this environment. So look ahead. Uh, you're uh, in a very influential position as the commissioner of the Big East. Uh, your resume uh, puts you among the most prominent athletic administrators in the United States. College athletics is changing. The Power Five conferences uh, exist. Football is the tail that wags the dog a lot. 
all sorts of noise being made on a regular basis. You hear rumors, well, they may eventually break away. What, what, what is, what's the future of college athletics and how, how does the Big East fit into that with football, again, dominating in terms of broadcast revenues, et cetera? Well, I don't think anyone can give you the answer to the question, um, Matt. I think, you, you know, it's um, no, no one has that crystal ball. I wish I did, to be honest with you. But you're, you're right. I can corroborate that um, co- college sports has been hit um, extraordinarily hard um, in the last year with, with really an unprecedented number of difficult issues all hitting at the same time. When, when you talk about um, covid and the financial stress that's produced, other campus-based pressures, um, student-athlete activism um, is is probably at a high, pay-for-play challenges, other litigations um, where college conferences or the NCA been named as defendants, the prospect of congressional intervention, um, the future of name, image, and likeness, what may happen with transfer rules, um, and then you've got on top of all of that, just the normal operating stuff that um, ADs and commissioners and others have to deal with kind of under the radar screen from sort of the casual observer. And it's a lot. So, um, I, you know, the people involved, I would say, are doing the best they can to manage through this. I think the first step is to get out of COVID and get our campus operations back on track, our athletic operations back on track. There are a lot of unknowns this year with respect to the outcome of the Alston antitrust litigation. That case is a biggie. It's being argued in March, decision in June. That one is really getting at the future of the college athletics scholarship model. So that'll be a very important um, piece of news come June. And then, of course, where Congress decides to go with respect to the possibility of um, college athletics reform. Are, are ones where we, I don't have the answers today. I don't think anybody does. So it's a bit of a wait and see mode. But I, I think what can't be taken away is, again, I keep coming back to this, the quality of the experiences that are being provided for the half a million kids who are playing sports every year. And back to me, I mean, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. You know, I had my education paid for by the University of Virginia. It made me who I am in a sport that didn't generate a nickel of revenue. So you know, um, I think that sometimes gets lost in, in all of the sort of, uh, you know, the noise in the system is what these um, experiences really are all about and the leadership development that they're providing for so many young men and women now and the importance of that sort of societally. So for that reason, I'm, you know, I'm, it's one reason I'm doing it because I want to be part of that effort and help make available for the young athletes of today the kinds of opportunities that I had yesterday. Well said. And the last question is this, looking over your resume, it's extensive, it's extraordinary, but I notice you are the advisor to the Vatican Sport at the Service of Humanity Initiative. And that stood out to me. What is that? So four years ago, Matt, the Vatican, really with the support of Pope Francis, decided that it wanted to, um, in a deeper way, in a more visible way, support sports participation as a way of furthering um, important values um, in life and, and, um, and being a force for positive social change. Um, so they created the initiative. There was a conference in Rome back in 2016 that I was part of and part of the planning of that brought together people from all over the world and all walks of life, athletics life, 
to talk about how sports can be a force for social good and interestingly how to match up the values of sport with the values of faith at their best. And so um, there have been some follow-up conferences, including at, um, at Villanova and Georgetown most recently, to carry forward these themes. And so I've stayed on in a planning, uh, planning capacity, advisory capacity to the Vatican as it thinks about how, again, it can use its, um, its influence to grow sports participation globally, um, to, in particular, make sure young kids have access to sports opportunities, um, to make sure that minoritized, minoritized populations have access to sport. And everything that's good about sports can be furthered. So it's been a very exciting initiative um, that I've been part of and sort of a natural lineup with, frankly, the Big East because of the Catholic missions of many of our schools and the service-oriented values that many of our schools um, you know, maintain. So a fun thing, and I expect we'll probably have another conference when COVID ends, likely involving another Big East school. Very cool indeed. Val Ackerman, thank you so much for your time. Continued success at the helm of the Big East. Uh, you've done yeoman's, yo woman's work. What? We got to find a new term for yeoman's work. <laughs> you've done fantastic work uh, leading the Big East over these past eight years and more years to come. And thank you for sharing your time with me. Great. Th- thanks so much. I enjoyed being with you today. Thank you. And that will wrap things up for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thanks again to Val Ackerman for her time. The Big East is fortunate to have her as commissioner, and the conference's school presidents obviously agreed as they recently signed her to that three-year extension. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I want to give a shout-out to Bogey1017, who gave five stars on Apple Podcasts to our last show with Arturis Karnishevis, and who wrote, As a Seton Hall alum, I love this podcast. Matt's choice of guests and his personable, professional interviews always entertain and inform. Well, Bogey, that's very kind of you. It is a labor of love, and I appreciate your comments. If you, any of the listeners, have a comment, please leave them on wherever you subscribe to the show, and I'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming episode. Thanks, as always, to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the show and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. Biggie Pat just killing it. That's a tall time for And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Matt Lachlan. Be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates. Pirates.